Hey, you found us. This is a podcast of Carbon Valley Lutheran Church in Firestone, Colorado, just north of Denver. We here at CVL firmly believe that community is built, not found, that it's local, not virtual. So we encourage everyone to find a local church and help them build their community and be a service to them. With that said, we pray that these podcasts supplement and not replace your spiritual journey. If you'd like to learn more about us at CVL, you can check us out on Facebook or on the web at carbonchurch.com, or even better, stop by in person. We worship at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. May the Lord bless your day. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful weekend. I'm overjoyed that you're joining us. We are in our our ongoing sermon series entitled, Turning the Light on Christmas. And today we're going to look specifically at what does it mean to be a witness of the light of Christmas. So we're going to kind of pull apart um, what is entailed with that, but we want to look specifically at what does it mean to be a witness of the light of Christ during this Christmas season. This past week, there's been some new details that have come out uh, about a story that I've followed for years of my life. Um, so have any of you ever heard of Fenn's Treasure? Now, maybe some of you have, especially us that are here in Colorado, uh, because the search for Fenn's Treasure has taken place um, up and down the Rocky Mountains, including our beautiful state of Colorado. Now, if you've never heard about it, uh, Fenn's Treasure is a modern-day treasure hunt for literally a box of treasure that is estimated to be worth about $2 million. Now, it began with a man named Forrest Fenn. Uh, he was an antiquities dealer that lived in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And Forrest had done quite well with his life. He had amassed uh, a lot of wealth. Uh, he had collected art and antiquities and lots of interesting pieces and lots of pieces that had, had value and have objective value to them. But in 1988, all of that wealth, all of that um, wealth that he had amassed uh, kind of was pushed aside by some news that he had received. Forrest was given the, the proclamation, or the news rather, um, that he had terminal cancer. So now you can imagine uh, receiving news like that, and it doesn't really matter how much money you have or what you've done with your life. Um, when someone comes along and says, you have very little time to live, it causes you to reassess a lot of things, including the earthly wealth that you have. Well, that is exactly what happened with Forrest. And he decided that with all of these pieces that, that had value, that, that, um, these beautiful pieces that he had collected, that he was going to use his wealth, uh, in his own words, to pique the curiosity of the human spirit. And so Fenn came up with this idea to create a modern-day treasure hunt. And that's exactly what he did. He actually got a treasure box, literal treasure box, and he filled it with all of, all of the most valuable things that he had in his collection. So inside of it, he put uh, gold coins, gold nuggets, uh, valuable art and jewelry, and, and he filled this thing up, and then he went out into the Rocky Mountains and he buried it. The point was, was that people were going to search for it. He wrote a memoir and a poem that went along with it. And in that memoir and that poem, uh, he filled it with enticing details on exactly how to find this treasure. And so since 1988, amateur and professional treasure hunters have, have poured over Fenn's memoir and every little thing and every little word that was contained there in order to try to find any hint of where this treasure might be buried. 
And I can't confirm nor deny that there are two families within our church family here at CVL that may have actually gone looking for Fenn's treasure. So their names may, may rhyme with Bonston and Bagathy. May, may or may not, right? But you can understand the, the intrigue, right? And the curiosity of wanting to find a treasure like that. It's piqued my curiosity for years. Well, guess what? The treasure's been found. Over this past year, specifically, uh, someone found Fenn's treasure, and Fenn uh, unfortunately died at age 90. He outlived, far outlived his terminal cancer diagnosis, but he was able to see that treasure box one last time and meet the person that had actually found it. It's a fascinating story, not just of a treasure hunt, but ultimately actually finding the treasure and I think it serves as a pretty good jumping off point for us when we consider those that were searching for something at John the Baptist's time, along with ourselves, and ultimately what we find in Christ. And so today, we want to look at what does it mean to be a witness of the light of Christmas? And there's three different areas that we want to look at specifically. Um, as witnesses, we want to recognize that there is a universal search going on. Second thing is we want to actually understand what we've seen. And lastly, we want to talk about how and why we share that good news uh, of what we have seen and what we have heard. And so let's jump into our text here today. I'm going to read for you the very first few verses of our selection. It says this, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now, understand this. The gospel writer of the book of John goes to great lengths to set the historical reality for the ministry of John the Baptist. So he shares the same name, but John the Gospel writer is talking about John the Baptist, who is often referred to as the forerunner of Christ. And so John sets this in history. This isn't some distant, far off, uh, um, in, a, in a land that no one knows. But the Gospel writer John sets the ministry of John the Baptist and Jesus himself in time, in history. He does that for a reason. Because the universal search that is happening within our world, both believer and unbeliever alike, happens in real time in history. And he does that because of the strength of what it means for God to be made man, to enter into our world and into our reality in order to bring us something that this world never can. And that's what we see happening here when John talks about John the Baptist's ministry. And John the Baptist is called a witness to the light. And that word witness is going to kind of be our overarching theme throughout this sermon. And what is a witness? Well, a witness doesn't interpret the facts. A witness doesn't make up facts. A witness actually doesn't leave out facts. A witness simply testifies to what they have seen and what they know is true. That's exactly what John the Baptist is called in our text here today. He is a witness of the light. But the same is true for you and I. And that's what we want to look at. What does that mean to be a witness? Well, we can look specifically at John's ministry and what was happening at that time. 
People had been flocking to John the Baptist. And he was a prophet that didn't look like the other prophets that they had expected. He didn't look like the religious leaders, Pharisees and Sadducees that were in the religious capital at that time of Jerusalem. John looked vastly different. If you remember anything of the story of John the Baptist's ministry, he wore camel's hair clothing, ate locusts and honey, and, and did his ministry out in the wild. So not in the capital city, but out in the wild. And the result was that people were flocking to him. They wanted to hear what John had to say. They wanted answers for the eternal search that they were in the midst of, and they were increasingly finding it in the words of John the Baptist in the wilderness. There was a search going on for truth and for reality and for words that had purpose and meaning. They found that in John. But not just those that were flocking out there, in fact, in our text here today, we see that even those from the capital city of Jerusalem came out to ask John questions in this search. The Pharisees and the Sadducees come to John and they see the popularity of his ministry and that he popped up on the radar of those religious leaders. And so they come directly to him and they ask him, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah the prophet? Are you another prophet? They, they are searching for answers to these questions. They want to know specifically who John is and why he has come. And so in the people that were flocking to John, and even in many of the unbelieving Pharisees and Sadducees, we see a hunger for and a search for truth. And I think we can understand that. I think we can understand a desire for that search. And, and I think we can understand that search in ourselves because we look for the very same thing. I don't know if you're anything like me, but uh, Christmas time tends to be kind of a magnifying glass on all of the things that are happening in your life. And, and I think it kind of highlights things, both wonderful, joyous things. But there's kind of an unfortunate downside to that. I think Christmas at times also magnifies uh, the problems and the fractures and the, the struggles and the suffering at Christmas time. And so I think maybe more so than any other time of the year, both believer and unbeliever alike, um, you and I and the people with whom we live at Christmas time are searching. We're searching for peace, we're searching for purpose. We're searching for meaning. We're searching for um, healing. We're searching for forgiveness. We're searching for anything that we can find that, that gives us a sense of why we are here and where we are going and that there is hope for the brokenness that we see in each and every one of our lives. And so I think we can understand why those in Jerusalem were flocking to John the Baptist because they were searching and they had not found the answers from their religious leaders in Jerusalem at that time. They had not found the answers that were satisfying uh, the deeper questions that they had. And I think we are on that same journey in that same search. And here's the problem. See, when we search and when we look for our answers uh, anywhere this side of heaven, sooner or later we're let down. If we try to find um, our purpose and, and an answer to the brokenness of our world in our spouse, in our children, in our jobs, our careers, the size of our bank accounts, um, the solidity of our nation, any of those things, sooner or later, the things of this world always let us down and break our hearts. That's the reality. 
And it's not that those things aren't good. It's just that they are not meant to carry the torch of, of eternal answers that we are seeking. John knew that. And John gave answers that were far greater and deeper than just the, the earthly problems that we saw around us. In fact, on some level, that's why people were flocking to John. Because he was giving them answers that were not earthly, but were eternal. And so when we consider ourselves as witnesses of the light this Christmas season, the very first thing I think that we need to understand, both in ourselves and in the people that God has placed into our lives, in our communities, our friends, our neighbors, is that there is a universal search. We feel it. People around us feel it. People are searching. I think that becomes a good jumping off point for us as we consider ourselves and as we witness to the truth and the answer to that search. So let's continue on in our text, verse 26. John says this, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So if being a witness first means understanding that everyone's searching, the second part is what we've seen. And look at the beauty of what John puts before our eyes and before the eyes of the people that were flocking to see him. He doesn't point to himself but he points to the Lamb of God. Now, understand exactly the depth of what John was saying to those who were flocking to him. He was taking um, all of the pressure and, and all of the emphasis off of himself, and he was telling those and us here today to, to, to look at the Lamb of God. And that's incredibly deep with Old Testament biblical meaning. See, he's telling these people, these Israelites, this is the Lamb of God. And he's saying, look, the Lamb of God, but not, look, here's the conqueror, or look, here's the king, or look, here's your revolutionary, or look, here's your religious leader. Not, not any of those things, although Jesus was all those things and could have been all those things, but John takes a moment to say, look, the Lamb of God, and he does that purposefully. Because for thousands of years, those Israelites would have been um, eating lamb, sacrificing lamb and eating it in their Passover meals. John was saying, incredibly, this Jesus Christ, this Savior whom you see in front of you is the Lamb of God. Not a lamb that you, that you eat at Passover year after year, but a perfect unblemished lamb, a lamb that has come to sacrifice his blood and his life for you so that your sins would be washed clean. So you understand the significance of what John is pointing them to. He is saying that your Messiah has come. It's not me. It's not anyone that's around you, but it is Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. John's words here on some level, are almost a case study for us as believers. Because John does two different things as a witness of Christ. The first is he admits that he is not even worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus Christ. Now, 
that was a job that was set especially for slaves and servants, right? Uh, feet were the dirtiest thing that you had on your body. Uh, you traveled by walking. And so this was considered one of the most lowly things to do within Israelite society was to, to unstrap the sandals of someone. And that was reserved for slaves and servants. And what is John admitting here in our text? He's saying, I'm not even worthy to do that for the Lamb of God. John is admitting his own sinfulness, his own unworthiness. And what's fascinating here is, is this isn't John with um, a kind of a false deference. This isn't John with uh, low self-esteem. But you get the sense when John says this that he is stating it as a matter of fact. <laughs> that this is the reality. Himself in comparison to the Messiah who has come Someone once said uh, that low self-esteem and high self-esteem are really both the same problem, uh, that it's, a, it's a, a, an overindulgence and, and looking at yourself more than you ought, right? So whether we have low self-esteem or high self-esteem, in both of those cases, you're looking at yourself far more than you necessarily should. But from John's words here, we don't get the sense that he's doing either of those things. It's simply a matter and a statement of fact. John says, I am not even worthy to untie the sandals of the Messiah who is to come. And I think in that we find great lesson for us as believers. As we begin our worship services with a confession of sins, this is not a lowly groveling before our God, but it is um, a reality, an acceptance, and a statement of fact that without our Lord and Savior, we are simply beggars at the gate. We are lost and in need of help. So John starts with that. But then ultimately, he points us to the Lamb of God. He points us to Jesus Christ, who is our Messiah. And that's the good news we have at Christmas time. We celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, but that birth was, was destined for death on a cross and an eventual resurrection. And so when John says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he is saying that to you. His witness, his testimony was not just for those who were flocking to him out in the wilderness or the Pharisees and Sadducees, but his witness is for you and I. He says, see the Lamb of God who has laid down his life for you so your sins would be washed clean. And so if we want to witness to the light of Christmas, we've got to understand that people are universally searching, including ourselves. But second of all, we've got to see our Savior. We've got to see the Lamb of God for who he is and all that he's done for us and that we have forgiveness in him. But once we understand the search and we see that Savior, it naturally leads us to wanting to share the good news of that, of that, um, that treasure and that forgiveness. That story of Fenn's treasure, uh, just this past week, some new tidbits kind of came out about that. Uh, the person that originally found that treasure wanted to remain anonymous, uh, but over the last week, uh, it was revealed exactly who he was, and it's kind of a sad testimony to our modern American culture that it was because of lawsuits that were filed against him that he eventually had to reveal his name. Uh, his name was Jack Stoof. Uh, he is a doctor, or studying to be a doctor, a young man from Michigan. He was the one that found this, this treasure, right? 
Uh, he was the one that, that uh, finally came across it. And in an article from Outside Magazine that was just released this last week, there were some fascinating details on exactly how Jack found it because that, that's really what we wanted to know in this, this treasure hunt, how out of all of these hunters, out of all of these amateur and professional treasure hunters, was Jack able to find this treasure? And his answer was fascinating. He said he went over the poem and he went over the, the, the memoir that, that Forrest Fenn had written and he parsed over every little last part. But he did something that a lot of other people hadn't done before. He went and watched every single um, interview that he could on Forrest Fenn. And he said he studied the man, not just the text that was in front of him. He, he tried to figure out what exactly was motivating Forrest to have, have started this treasure hunt at all. And he said after he came to understand Forrest is when he figured out where that treasure would be buried. Ultimately, Fenn buried that treasure in the spot that he hoped to be buried himself. It's a fascinating tidbit on how uh, Jack was able to find that treasure. But I think it also serves as a, maybe a good example for us and for where John the Baptist is pointing us in our text here today. Because ultimately, if we want to share Christ, if we want to be witnesses of all that Jesus did and all that he is, we have to throw ourselves at the foot of him, of Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We have to put ourselves into Christ as we understand who he was and what he did for us, as we, we open the pages of Scripture and, and all that Christ did on our behalf is revealed before us. If we want to be witnesses, faithful witnesses of the light that came at Christmas, we've got to know who that light is, and that is Jesus Christ, and we find him in no other place than the pages of Scripture before us. That's where John points us as the Lamb of God. And that has impact. Your faithful witnessing of who Jesus is impacts the universal search that is happening outside of our houses and outside of our churches. We have a pretty good example of that, not only from John the Baptist, because his message was, was changing the hearts of people that were coming to see him, but even the impact of the Christian testimony and witness in the early Christian world. Jesus' death and resurrection and those churches that were planted and those early Christians went into their world and simply were um, sharers of the light that, that they knew they had in Jesus Christ. And it changed the Roman Empire. Their faithful testimony, living out their faith as believers, changed hearts and lives forever thereafter. And so maybe that's our confidence and our encouragement this Christmas season. You are a witness of the Lamb of God. You understand the search. You've seen your Lord and Savior. And now it's our privilege this Christmas season to be able to share who Jesus is and the forgiveness that we have in Him. And maybe there's no better time than the Christmas season to do just that. When our nation is universally celebrating a holiday, we have the opportunity to say, here's what it's about. We have an opportunity to share the light that has come in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this Christmas season, you have the rare opportunity to be able to point and say, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so as you do that, as you witness to the Savior that you have, 
Understand that search. Know who you've seen. And be bold in your proclamation of Jesus and his forgiveness. Amen. Thank you.